0: For more on your pelicans, go to iTunes, search the bird calls, and subscribe today.
1: Wow! Uh, Welcome back, Pels fans. It has been a minute or two since last we did this. And uh, so this is the return of The Bird Calls. I am David Grubb, and I am joined by Charlie Gonzalez, Kevin Berrios, and the editor-in-chief, of course, Ali Cosell. We've been brought out of our hiding due to uh, an article today that appeared in, the, uh, in NOLA.com, Times you however you receive your New Orleans news, written by Christian Clark, who is the beat writer for NOLA.com and it covers the stormy two-and-a-half tenure to this point of David Griffin. Now, we all have our feelings on Griff and where the Pelicans are, but this this brought to light some things that have been discussed and some things that we did not know. So we're going to try to look at it from um, a a few different angles and uh, give, hopefully, you, the fans, something worth uh, chewing on as we get ready for the opening of training camp and the new 21-22 season. So, gentlemen, first, let me see how y'all doing. Ali, how are you?
3: Doing well, just like, I guess, Kevin and you, anybody that lives in Louisiana, recently getting affected by Hurricane Ida. Things are still, you know, trying to get back to normal. Where I'm at, we've got, what, a pile of debris, eight feet high, 12 feet long, uh, sitting in front of the house now for three and a half weeks. Garbage picked up once, just a trash can. And I've got some damage inside of my house. And we still haven't had the insurance adjuster go by. So, yeah, still waiting for, you know, just life to come back to normal, basically.
1: Kev, how are you doing, my man?
0: That was me uh, dusting the cobwebs off of the microphone here. It's been so long. Uh, But, yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, You know, like Ollie adjusting back to everything. Uh, I was in the process of moving this month anyway. So it's kind of... Like been slightly helpful in that sense with dealing with the hurricane because just moving everything out. Even my power took so long to come back on. They finally picked up my trash like two days ago. Um, and then just trying to, you know, work is still like easing back in. I've only worked two days so far since the hurricane, so I'm like a little stressed about that. But um, it's coming back around. I think starting about next week. Um, and then just easing back into life and getting adjusted to a new spot and you know but that's done that many times before so it's no big deal just uh roll with it right
1: yeah I guess that's all we can do Charlie you are an infrequent visitor to our hive here um but glad to have you among us how are you doing
2: a uh, start of a new school year for you of course under the most fun circumstances imaginable Oh I'm great. Yeah, this is wonderful. Uh this is a a lovely reprieve. The the stupidity and and rambunctiousness of today on Twitter uh helped distract me from the stupidity and rambunctiousness from my everyday life uh teaching middle schoolers. So it was a uh, it was a nice reprieve um you know getting a little glimpse at the inner workings of the musical stylings of one David Griffin and and all the different variables involved. Uh, So uh, I'm as good as I can be. (laughs) Well, this is, it's, it's both kind of comedic and tragic
1: um, in a sense, when we talk about where the Pelicans are two and a half years into David Griffin's uh, uh, era as uh, vice president of basketball operations So from the basketball standpoint, from what uh, Christian had in his article, Ali, I'm going to start with you since you and I do the most on just the covering of the games themselves. The basketball part of this is here we are entering year three, a team that has won 61 games total over the last two seasons, failed to qualify for the playing tournament in either year. Um, You can say has had three consecutive disappointing off-seasons Um, as far as putting rosters together, going into them, some successes, um, and you, and even with the draft, you'd say, I'm not, you, I would, I would think most people's evaluation of of Griffin as a draft or since he's been to the Pelicans, you're not mad with anybody's taken, but you're, you're not also, there are also things that feels like there are opportunities missed, um, on the basketball side, first and foremost, what is your feeling entering this third year of David Griffin?
3: I could talk for probably a couple of hours on this alone, but, but um, I think Christian, you know, surmised it really well with just one paragraph where he talked about, you know, it's almost two and a half years where he's had this job. And so far it's been nothing but turmoil. You already mentioned the losing record. We're going to be on coach number three. Um, and now we're learning that the head of basketball operations, the guy who's in charge with, you know, bringing a championship to the city like he supposedly did in Cleveland doesn't talk or communicate with our star player now for, you know, what, close to a year. Right. Um, And that just doesn't sit well with you because there's nothing you can point to that gives you hope when it comes to him, uh, you know, personally. Right. On what he's done himself to elevate the Pelicans, to put them on a doorstep of some success that we can be hopeful about. Personally, before all this unraveled uh, today, even though we had heard some rumors on and off, but for the most part, I was happy with the offseason that they didn't make like a big mistake, that they didn't bring, you know, back, got rid of, you know, what they needed to do, basically. And I like kind of the roster, even though it's underwhelming on paper. I feel more hope about it than the last two years. And, David, we've talked about this a lot. We have not liked the rosters that they have entered the seasons with in a prior two years. So, like I said, I was more hopeful. But now I honestly don't know what to think. And, and that's probably the worst part about this. I still want to be helpful about the, uh, the team's chances, their standings, certain players. But it's kind of hard when all this has now come to light, right, you know, days before media day. And the biggest thing we've always talked about, even going back to next year, this team's really only going to go as far as Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson take them. And right now you have to question, right, how dedicated is Zion? And I know we'll get into that more. I know Charlie and I, we've been kind of talking about in the DM channels um, about how old he is, right? He's just 21-year-old. So you can't really put too much expectations on the kid. But then again, you know, you have to grow up fast in the NBA. And now he's entering his third year. So like I said, I've just – it's been such a whirlwind of emotions. Um, Today I've been going back and forth on what to even write on the topic. So, yeah, I'm I'm still not sure. But either way, as far as David Griffin's concerned – you can't point to too many, enough, enough positives to where you feel comfortable with him
1: going forward. Kevin, you and I have pretty much been on the same page from day one when it comes to Griffin. Um, I don't think either one of us liked the hire th- in the first place. Um, and we didn't like his track record. I thought that under for, when you, when you really look, put it under a microscope, <clears throat> excuse me, whether it's Phoenix or in Cleveland, you don't see a lot of success that you could directly um, attribute To David Griffin, Um, he was part of things that happened to be successful at the time, and no one has been gifted, no one, maybe in the history of the NBA, to start a run with a team, been gifted the tools that he was gifted. A number one pick, the trade asset of Anthony Davis, the trade asset of Drew Holiday, a cap that was manageable, young talent in Brandon Ingram, and Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart, lottery picks galore, all those things. The choice to do whatever you want, money given to you by ownership where they basically said, Here's the checkbook, do what you want to do, which they had not done in the previous half decade of their ownership. Hadn't touched the team. You got everything that you wanted, and yet this team is essentially no better off than it was when Anthony Davis wore his That's all uh folk shirt.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't really know what to add to that, but yeah, um, you know, I've always been out on Griffin. Was not interested in hiring. I was like okay because I got my guy was Trajan Langdon and we got him as well, and I was like fine, um, whatever. But you know, I guess the high point of David. Griffin's uh, tenure for me is when he sold the monorail to Springfield. I just think he's that guy, you know, he's just a a con artist that worked his way up into this position. You know, he just feels like that, especially when you meet him in person. And I met him in person that first summer league. And I, you know, admittedly, I already wasn't very keen on him, but I was actually high on him at that moment because it was coming off the heels of the AD trade, which I thought was a great trade. I thought the draft was solid. Um, you know, I I wasn't that high on the Jackson Hayes pick, but I didn't mind it because you balanced it out with a guy like Mikael Alexander Walker, who I loved in the draft. Who was seemed like he was more ready to contribute now. And you had three picks; you can take a risk on a project like Jackson Hayes. And you know, the jury's still out on him. He's shown moments that he can be great. He's shown moments that he can be a disaster. We don't he's going to be yet, really, but um, we'll see. Um, but that's a lot of the. Th- That's basically what the entire David Griffin tenure is. You see, like this good, and then you see this complete disaster train wreck at the same time. They're just trying to balance each other out, and it just depends on what side of um, the fence you were with the hiring of him is basically where you fall. I feel like a lot of people feel like you can't criticize him; they they get very protective of him, and I just don't understand why. It's even like Ali said, like I'm looking at the roster now, and it's I think it's a fine roster. Like I'm kind of happy with it but the way we got to it you know that old cliche of uh chestnut checkers like people like to say that but he played Oregon Trail like he we got to a destination that was pretty nice it's not as nice as we thought we were getting but it's solid but we lost a bunch of assets and lives along the way getting there um and and so it's just uh it's a questionable tenure I just don't have any trust in him as a person like I don't trust him as a human being So trusting him to run my basketball team, uh, definitely don't see that. I mean, it goes all the way back to the first thing that he did. He brought uh, Zion Williamson to Commander's Palace. Like, it just shows, like, you don't understand the people you're dealing with. You're in your own head. You have this persona. You have no empathy. You have no... You, you can't see outside of yourself. Do you think that that's – I mean, any of us, would that be the place you brought Ryan Williamson not to? Not with his little commands. brother especially,
1: too. Because like, it, I'm not bringing I mean, a kid a to Commanders. Restaurant.
0: Right. It's like a great restaurant, sure, you know, and it has all this history. But it's it's kind of like going – sitting in Django on chains, you know, kind of. You know, you, you want to take him somewhere fun, somewhere that he's going to see people that are actually going to be fans of the team. and And I just think that everything – about that choice sums up everything you need to know about David Griffin. That's why him playing piano for for Zion does not shock me at all. You know, like I made the joke that when he was in high school and college, everybody hit the acoustic guitar when he showed up at the party because he would be that asshole that pulls out the acoustic guitar and kills the whole vibe because he thinks he's the center of attention. He's the show, and it's just gross to me. It's just not the kind of person that. I like, and even his messages aren't solid and they aren't accurate. I mean, he talks about family all the time. We're on our third head coach in three years, turn the roster over every year. How is that a family environment? You know, when you're constantly breaking up. Um, I have no confidence in him. I think that the team itself is constructed okay. And I don't know how much – credit to give him for that. I don't know how much credit to give Trajan for that or, you know, Swim and all the people involved in these decisions. Uh, Ramon Sessions is still involved, right? He's still here um, doing stuff. So, I mean, he assembled a nice team. Uh, Everything is just, like, window dressing with him. There's just no substance behind it, I feel like. And um, as every positive is still filled with all this, like, weird negativity, and it's just... You know, I mean, obviously, if I was in charge, I would boot him out of out of here very fast. You know, I just, I mean, just the problem of him not having a relationship with the star player, to me, uh, amongst all the other things, I think, you know, like I said with Del Dimps, like, I think Del Dimps was better than a lot of people think he is. He was in a weird situation. Um, he had a lot of obstacles to overcome. But even as much as I you know, I, I just to some degree, I thought he should have been fired when the, when Anthony Davis requested his trade, I don't think you should be allowed to trade two superstars, uh, that one out of your team for not being able to build a team around them. And I feel like David Griffin's already to that point. I mean, we wasted the Lonzo, um, uh, the, the Lonzo asset, um, you know, the, giving up a first round pick for Devonte Graham, all of these little things, you know, I mean, it's just so many things that just haven't worked out and we're not winning. You know, you can talk about all this good things that he's done, but we're not winning. And why is that? I think it is the culture of this team and the culture of this team is currently toxic because the head of this team is toxic.
1: Charlie, you know, when you look around the league and, and the Pelicans are always in the midst of these conversations about poorly run franchises and rumors about players leaving and all those things. And, most of them, you know, I think we would all agree. it's just it's it's a piling on, it's an unfounded part. But when you look at key things this off season, like Jacques Vaughn pulling out of the coaching um, search because of perceived interference from the top, from players using the Pelicans as leverage, knowing good and well, they weren't they had no real intention of signing with the team in the off season, of having to go through your second and third option. Constantly in this, um, in this process, has David Griffin's credibility as a person damaged the franchise's credibility even further um, than where it was two years ago when people saying, "Well, the Pelicans are always second to the saints, the Pelicans are this." But now it's you've gotten the money, you've gotten everything else, but there's still this level of untrustworthiness, of incompetency. There's just all these other things that are still present that Griffin was supposed to be the one to smooth out and clean away.
2: You're exactly right. I think you hit the nail on the head as far as making everything somehow worse, as far as from a respect, as far as coming from a, uh, a franchise that looks like they know what they're doing because the guy came on the scene, was trying to say all the right things, uh, uh, seemed to be like he was trying to take all the heat. Uh, and I mean, even the fan base has been, gotten caught up in multiple uh I don't know, Twitter spats, whatever you want to call it with countless national personalities who are like, oh, Zion's going to be in an Anthony Davis situation all over again. And I don't know how many times I've seen people jump in. Uh, Most recently, I think it was with the whole Justin Verrier thing from The Ringer, Uh, wrote an article all about, oh, this is going to happen again with Zion, the next AD and stuff. And. Everyone has has jumped to almost to Griffin, but more so, I think, really just to the franchises and their own fandom's defense, because we've all kind of hoped, hey, things are different. They're different than they have been. They're not the same as it was during 80. The 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 ownership supporting them, they have the financial support. Um, they have a whole team in place. They've got a veteran leadership and people that know supposedly know what they're doing. Um, and exactly what you said this has been just a slow moving car crash for two and a half years now and yeah they started off the grub you said all the time the guy was born on the third base and has somehow gotten himself in a pickle and made it back to first i don't know how that's possible um but uh, but kevin just alluded to it with with the lonzo piece i was screaming when uh, the Lonzo trade happened because it made absolutely zero sense that they held out, kept him in, in the regular season when they, I'm sorry, there's no way you can convince me that they didn't know that they were not going to keep him whatsoever. There's no way you can convince me, um, after his little hot streak in February and then dipped down again, that was it. And they should have dealt it. Like they should have dealt him. Way way earlier, obviously, but then to let that build up and just get absolutely housed by clutch and the bulls the way they did. Now, whatever happens with the NBA's tampering thing, that you know that'll be what it is. Uh, but the, to to absolutely get destroyed like that, wow. They're being used, like you said, for by Lowry, by Paul, whoever else it may be, um, who's saying, "Yeah, New Orleans sounds great. I'll definitely take that money," and then just to get an extra year in their contract or an extra bump in pay, uh, and to wind up with paying a first-round pick for Devonte Graham, who is nice. He's fine. I'm actually kind of excited about Devonte. He should be a good player. I think he's ultimately a sixth man in his best kind of role, or seventh man, even maybe. But to pay a first round pick and not recoup that, get too well, like past their prime s- sub starter veterans in Satoransky and Temple for Lonzo, who, yes, Lonzo's got a lot of problems, but for whatever reason, the national media and it seems like a lot of teams out there really wanted him. Like, for a, like a lot of teams were at, seemed to be after Lonzo Ball. That definitely seemed to be like it was a very real thing. And the fact that they were not able to utilize their their control of of the quote-unquote asset to, to get anything of serious value um, and then to cough up one subs, subsequently for Devonte Graham after a weird transaction with Valensunas and Adams and Bledsoe like it's just and especially comparing what Memphis was able to do with Bledsoe because they really broke Bledsoe down into a whole bunch of stuff getting Jared Culver I mean the, the I, I don't know how I don't I I, I mean it's just it, it feels like they're skating backwards uphill like they just don't seem to know what's going on or at least Griffin doesn't I don't I don't know I still have faith in Langdon I'd still have faith in the team when I when I saw Langdon and Swin at press conferences and stuff I actually kept getting like man okay this. I get a little bit more confidence, and but then these continued misfires are just debilitating. I mean, I, I don't know how you can look at them. I mean, the only thing that's really given me confidence to go back to your original question, Grub, about like the basketball team itself is the Willie Green Summer League. That's it. Willie Green and the way that team played in Summer League was awesome and so much fun to watch. And they played like they cared and they really gave effort. And there was some awesome stuff from Trey Murphy, from Najee. It looked like, an actual basketball team that wanted to do that job versus the whatever has been occurring. Cause I, I, it doesn't seem like they've been in the business of winning basketball games for three years now.
1: It seems to me if there's a, there's a serious misread on Griffin's part of what, of where the NBA is going. Um, And I'm not talking about the way the style of play. I'm just talking about the business of basketball. Your team is now 15 corporations. You know, and and Zion Williamson is the biggest corporation in that group. He is the CEO of Zion Incorporated. And these guys are not thinking about place. They're not thinking about loyalty. They're thinking about, they are literally thinking about their career. Like not in the terms of, a, of just basketball. They're thinking about in the, the, the financial sense, the post-basketball career. All those things are being thought of right now. And they are looking at the NBA as no longer a place where I have to be anywhere. I can go wherever I want to go if I do what I need to do, you know, whatever it is, whether it's Ben Simmons using those leverage right now, James Harden last year, it's a different league. There is no 10-year plan anymore for this league. It is a three, four, five-year max window for any team in the NBA. And it feels like when you come into a, a, a game where these kids now have grown up And their parents, like Zion's parents have been talking about business with him probably since he was 14. There is no family. They don't care about organic growth. They don't care about your feelings. They don't care about loving each other. They don't want to, we have to be strong enough to tell each other the truth. They want to know if you can win some fucking basketball games. Can you put my kid in position to win games and make money? Can you do that? And I think that Griffin has been selling sever- several different things, whether he's been selling family or he's selling toughness on this side, or we're going to kick people's ass, or we're selling on this part, it's we're a group and it's us against the world. There is no group. There is no this. There is no that. All the things that he praises on one end are the things that he's firing you for on the back end. It just feels like, he is is trying to, and I think this goes to Kevin's ultimate point, is that he's selling you something that doesn't exist, and the only way he can keep you on board with that crazy sale is to keep you distracted by saying, I'm building this, really. You're looking over at wins. Remember, the tapestry of moves. Don't Don't look up close. You need to get back and see the tapestry in full and how it all flows together. Well, no, that shit is flowing you into sub 500 records and record losing streaks and this kind of stuff. It's not flowing into a beautiful picture. And it's just I think whether you're in the media, you feel lied to. If you play for that team, you have to feel lied to. And if you are a fan, you have to feel lied to for every part of this way. Whether it was there's nothing there's not one piece of information since David Griffin took over that has come out and ended up being accurate not Zion's injury length, that wasn't accurate. His whole talk about timetables, that shit wasn't accurate. You know, the type of roster he wanted to build, that's not was reflected in year one or year two, what he said he was doing. What he asked out of his coaching staff, that's not what has been reflected in year one or year two. So it's like, I, I just don't know where you can point to and say, he, he said what he did, what he said he was going to do and followed through. And if you don't have that in business, I don't care about the other shit. People get traded. People get upset. That stuff happens. But if ultimately, if I don't respect you, because I don't think you're a person of your word at all, whether it's what JJ Reddick said, or whether it's what Zion is thinking, whether it's Zion's parents are thinking, whomever, I think that's ultimately what it is right now with David Griffin is that I don't believe anybody thinks that they can trust him in that building or outside. And one of y'all yeah, can step you in. Know,
0: I was just going to say like what you were saying earlier about how he seems like disconnected from what the NBA really is. It, it started to make me think like really what, what he would be best suited for would be college basketball. Cause he can go out and sell bullshit to some older ladies and get their sons to come in. He has a family for one year, you know, college is that family environment, but they're only there for a year and gone. So it's like perfect for him. Constant turnover, over snake oil sale to the old ladies, bring them in, you know? Um, yeah i mean i agree with everything you said and he just has lost all credibility
2: it's nothing it's all empty i mean i i remember when the van gundy the post van gundy firing press conference happened like this i mean i gave i'll be honest i gave Griff a lot of rope i really tried i did i'll be perfectly honest i admit like a lot of the time I was trying to like rationalize like okay maybe he's trying to do something like this like maybe this is what's his aim is but as soon as he gave that press conference after Van Gundy uh I was like okay emperor has no clothes this guy's entirely just fraudulent he's been just saying this crap the whole time and there has no like Kevin's exactly right there's no credibility there's no authenticity there I don't blame anybody. But again, we go back to a year ago. That job should have been absolutely the number one. Like Teron, Lou, great. I'm sure that the Clippers' job was appealing. It's in L. A. You know, they were going to get they got quiet and everything like that. That this this job should have been the number one, in my opinion, by far. Like not even close with Zion Ingram when everyone they had coming in and. That was a, a, a potential, like, you could come in and do everything and build your own thing and make your own thing. The fact that they would not, that they end up with a retread, like Stan Van Gundy, who was out of the game, who had just recently had such a unceremonious exit in Detroit. Sorry, Grum. And it was... Telling is all, I mean, that, that alone. Like, I mean, again, I tried, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I talked myself into it. I was like, Stan Van Gundy, he's got great defenses, and that maybe that's what this team needs some tough love. Zion and Brandon Ingram have talked about how they like it old school. Maybe this will work. Maybe it's outside the box. But no, like, he just has whiffed on every hire is, after Trajan and Swin and, that, and Aaron Nelson and that first initial crop it's been like okay no none of the first the people you talk to want to take your money and if none of the people want to take your money that means you're clearly not doing the you're not authentic for, from a business standpoint because the players you have most of them you're drafting or trading for so it they don't really have a choice in whether or not they can take your money and the people that you're going after except for the very first crop that you had who are still riding with you that no one wants to be the first person on the boat I mean, it's just, it's very, it's very obvious. Now, Willie seems, again, seemed good right now. I hope it's great. I really do. But even him, Jacques Vaughn pulling out, and I mean, even Jacques Vaughn was a weird idea off the top, at least in my opinion. I never understood going after Jacques initially, but it just doesn't seem like he's someone that people want to be in business with right now. And if that's the case, he doesn't really is not the one that you want at the head of any franchise, much less this one.
1: Ali, one of the things that you and I have talked about on more than one occasion is that we can go all the way back to when Griff made his first comments about how he didn't enjoy being in Cleveland at the end because he didn't feel like it was something sustainable. He didn't like how it was built, and it wasn't fun. And, you know, he took the backlash from that. That's the first week on the job. Like, just going back to that, thinking about that, You made a PR disaster your first week on the job. Um, But even then, up till now, I've not seen a single former player, former colleague, former, I haven't seen an agent. I haven't seen anyone step up and say, why are people bashing Griff? Why why would anybody bash Griff? Don't you know his record? I cannot believe that with the number of executives in this league, we've seen people fight for Billy King. We've seen people fight for, you know, people fought for um, Rob Palenka when he was at the bottom, when when him and Magic Johnson were going at it, there were still people defending Rob Palenka. There is no one. And that, to me, is very telling, that they're not from Phoenix, not from Cleveland, not any former person that's been associated with him has come out in his defense. And it reminds me very much of what happened when Mark Jackson got – the action in Golden State. None of the players had anything positive to say after that. None of them said this ain't right. We're mad because Mark got fired. We, we nobody did that. They still haven't done it. So I think it's just it's odd to me when you don't have if you're so gifted and you're so talented and so respected that nobody is willing to come to your defense.
3: Yeah, well, granted, we're in New Orleans, so I think we probably got to give this at least a week before all national media catches up, right? I mean, the article is published on Nola dot com, so I'm gonna give the rest of, like I said, the nation about a week to get to it and read it. But uh, yeah, in Christian's article, for instance, I think there was what one agent, right? And I Bartelstein, wasn't it Bartelstein? Yeah, yeah. Bartelstein, and he I think represents Garrett Temple, the only um, active uh, client he's got on the Pelicans. But yeah, he defended him. But other than that, yeah, it's kind of surprising to me that nobody even said anything on Twitter, for instance. Like say maybe even Antonio Daniels or you know, really just anybody um that, like you said, has been associated with Griff who caught wind of this and would have just put their two cents out there. Kind of surprising nobody did that. So you're right, David. I think that does say a lot to maybe how Griffin's regarded, right? All across the league, um, whether it's you know with the players, with the agents, um, you name it. Um yeah, I I don't want to speculate any further because, like I said, we got to give this almost time. Yeah, we want to really find out where he really sits on the totem pole in regards to you know his peers. But but through this losing way-
1: over the last two years, you haven't heard anybody. You haven't any heard anybody say, well, give it. You got to give him his chance. As we as the Anthony Bennett stuff came out, you know about his his role in in drafting Anthony Bennett. As the 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 information came out about, you know, the, the contract extensions that he gave. And he talked all about his relationship that he and Rich Paul had this great relationship and Rich Paul just screwed him on the Chicago deal. So, and then the whole thing with Josh Hart, I mean, all these things in the article from having to hold on the Josh Hart thing, because you're worried about the NBA dealing with you on on tampering with the, with with Lonzo, but you shouldn't have been in that position anyway because you shouldn't have been giving up that deal in a 10 minute, one minute into uh, the free agent period. All of these things are his, like, that's, that's such the frustrating part is like every one of these mistakes that people go back and say, well, at least he's correcting them, but they're his mistakes. He's knocking the milk over in the first place. So it has right. to be cleaned up and it's in, in ways big and small, it all comes back to Griffin and it's, you know, whether it's the deals or whether we're talking about handing out the books or whether we're talking about playing the piano for Zion I mean, all these things, and they're funny, but it's also sad because where would you ever think that it's a good idea to take your franchise player and say, hey, watch me play the piano for a minute
2: and maybe we'll smooth Anybody. out
1: whatever's going on.
2: I mean, well, you can just open the book on Piano Gate and like, I mean, you can go for an hour on this stupid piano. Like, it's the dumbest thing. I, 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 I really, I'm almost at a loss of words. I don't even know what to say. The piano is is unspeakably stupid.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, the thing that's fucked up about this whole thing is, like, I'm a guy who I don't even really care about winning. I just, like, enjoy, like, because I don't take it very seriously. Like, I'm more concerned about politics and things like – and music and things like that. Basketball is just entertainment for me. Um, so I don't necessarily care about winning a championship – I I just want to be able to enjoy my team. And we have what should be a fun team here. And you just can't enjoy it because there's constantly all this bullshit that goes along with it. But going back to what you were asking about the fence of Griffin, the only person I've ever really heard really stump hard for him was Raja Bell when they first started that podcast on The Ringer. But I haven't paid attention to it in a long time. So I don't know if he's said anything else about it, but it'll be interesting to see after this, like Ali says, makes its way um, to the rest of the nation if he has something to say about it. But, um, yeah, like, I don't know. He's just, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. He's just,
1: uh. He's the bus driver. He will throw you under the bus. He's already shown that. He will throw a player. He'll throw a coach under the bus. Well, David, you bring
3: up a good point. That's what I wanted to talk about. David, I don't care if your GM tries to put on a persona of your team, right? You're trying to at least, you know, you have to sell every team in this league and any really professional sports league. Some jobs are harder to sell than others. But I think that kind of goes along with the job. But that said, while Griffin was doing all that, it really troubled me. And we kind of knew this at the time, how Alvin Gentry didn't like Griffin and his people walking through the practices. We saw Alvin getting miffed. Right. You remember that first season after the losing streak and such? Alvin was always kind of looking over his shoulder. And so for Griff to basically, okay, so you're going to have the sunny side of you is the way I think Christian put in his article. Then you're doing all these kind of shady things. Right. As well. That's what troubles me. That's kind of the biggest part for me. And then also when I, I think he said, according to Christian's article, he basically handed a silver platter to Alvin. He poo pooed it.
1: Yeah, I'm (laughs) sorry,
3: no. Who was the backups to Zion and Derek Favors when those guys went down? I mean, there was other things I can point to. So that's where my big decision comes with Griffin. It's not so much his personality or maybe even playing the piano. God knows, maybe Zion likes the piano. Maybe there's a certain song he's trying to impress him with. We don't know the details, but I really could care less about that. But I do care, like I said, about that two-sidedness of Griff. So that stuff matters. And I feel like that's why so many people opened up to Christian because they see that they see what we've kind of speculated and heard through the grapevine, but they actually have been, you know, in the building with him. So if it bothers them enough to come out and even though I spoke with anonymity to Christian, the fact that they said all these things says a lot. And so that's where I'm really troubled by Griffin's presence.
1: Yeah. Being called Griff Krause. And then the whole, that, that comment of I gave Alvin the test, the answers to the test and he still failed is such horrendous bullshit because again, love or hate Alvin Gentry. We were around and we saw it every day that Alvin did not have control of that situation. And out Al- and I, uh, I'm not going to name again, people, unless people give me permission to, I'm not going to name their names, but, and I've talked to you, Alvin, we've talked about this too. Coaches who tell you that Alvin basically was saying, this is not the dude I work with in Phoenix. This is not that guy. And that Alvin was fully prepared, A, to leave at the end of the, the, the previous season, which he told us, like, he, openly, and says, See ya. he said, I'm gone. I know I'm out. I'll take my check. I'm cool. I've been fired before. No big whoop. Mm-hmm. So Griff asked him to stay. Griff asked him to stay. And then on top of that, you give him that roster. You let that team go through what it went through. You had the job hanging over him. Like I said, everyone knew it was an open secret that Alvin was getting fired after the bubble. So why did you even send him down there in the first place? It made no sense. It's all these things. They feel just so duplicitous. And that's the part of it. Like when people got mad at JJ, look, you can be mad about JJ saying, I want this specific destination. But that man told him he was going to do it for him. He told him after J.J. said, I don't even want to come in. I'm, I'm ready to go. I don't want to as play basketball. As Drew left, J.J. wanted out, right. That's the problem. If a guy says, I don't want to play at all, and he's willing to walk away, but you convince him to come back so you can fuck him over by telling him, I'm not going to do what you asked me to do, that's where I'd have the problem with it. J.J. could have handled his part of it better the way he talked about it, but ultimately this stuff comes back. These problems all come back to Griffin and whether or not he communicates honestly and upfront with people, because it seems that, A, he doesn't communicate with his own people well, but that other people around the league, every time there's a trade, they feel like they can get over on the Pelicans. So clearly the rest of the re- league is reading his tea leaves better than he is because they, the Pelicans lost the Bledsoe deal, um, you know, uh, the Drew Holiday, they lost that deal. We could say that they lost the Lonzo deal, that they lost the, the Devontae Graham deal. They've lost the Adams The All these things are, even if you got something that you could use, the Pelicans ended up with the lesser in the deal. And I think that that's, I think around the league, this is a, a real problem for this franchise that there's cre- no credibility. And I think people are looking at this thing as a carcass that they can pick off of.
0: The other thing we haven't even mentioned too is one of the first things he said was that Drew Holiday was going to be an MVP candidate. And we all knew, that that was ridiculous at the time. And Drew Holiday is a a fantastic player, an amazing player. He is not the kind of player that's going to get an MVP. And to put that sort of pressure on a guy who struggles under pressure, not only that, but to put it on a coach and a team that's just coming together with all new pieces, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, it's just him selling something that he can't deliver again. You know, and it's just uh, from day one, that's all he's been doing.
2: I don't think we have like I don't think he really has a real like is there a real victory per se I mean like I mean I guess I mean the the newest stuff the the Murphy thing and and, and then like whatever maybe it'll be good but like ultimately like Grubbs right like Dave lost pretty much I mean I, I could say you could say the Dan- Anthony Davis deal is a, like a even break even based on what they were trying to get or based on what they had available to them and what. The but that's only were. because they want that. That only
1: works because the Lakers lucked up in the lottery the same way the Pelicans did. Mm-hmm. If the Lakers don't luck up in the lottery, who are the Pelicans making that deal with?
2: Yeah, and and then that's it. Also, and then, like,
1: was, I mean, that deal was the high point. I'd
0: say it was, but it, it was also like like it was that's what it was that's what it was always going to be no matter who was in charge because the Lakers needed to get him there and so you could get all that Rich from the, no matter who who <laughs> of
2: yeah Rich Palm, you're yeah, exactly and- right just like he did the lasso exactly. deal so i mean but like the easiest yeah.
3: way to great griff honestly is you just look at the totality of moves and david mentioned it 61 and what are they 61 82 83 something like that and you have a generational talent you have Brandon Ingram who's an all-star you had Drew Holiday, who just won a championship, who proved his worth and what he's capable of in Milwaukee. The very year, the next year after he left New Orleans, that's what I look at. So, yeah, I, we we don't know about these individual deals, whether there'll be wins or losses. Right now, definitely, there's no clear wins. But like I said, you look at the totality, and right
1: now, it stinks. It really does. The other end of the equation is the relationship with Zion Williamson, and I am not as worried about. Zion's communication with the organization in the off season. I mean, we've seen superstars that don't really talk to their organizations in the off season. My thing is, and I I think David Fisher has done a great job of talking about this consistently is what does Zion ultimately want to do? And that is unfortunately where this has all been pushed to is that Griffin now in year three has to make, and understanding or get to some type of understanding with his franchise players. Do you want to be here? And that is just another problem for me. And I think ultimately, you know, it's not on Zion. He'll be judged not by the, by Pelicans fans, ultimately in his legacy, he won't be judged by um, the people of new Orleans. It's going to be, his legacy is written by the NBA. So if Zion wins a championship somewhere, Zion wins scoring titles somewhere, he'll still be a, a hero in, in basketball sense. The onus is on the Pelicans. And not having a good relationship with your franchise player, even if it's, you know, and you don't have to be best friends. are You can have a push-pull relationship, but it doesn't seem that there's respect there. And we know what it's been like, too, with parents in the past. Anthony Davis' father has a very serious reputation. And from what we know and from what we can glean, Zion's family will say, stop it at this so nobody gets in trouble, influential. Griffin hasn't figured out how to get through to Zion. He hasn't figured out how to get through to his family. And I don't think he's figured out how to get through to Ingram either at 100% of this, because if you have that buy-in, Ingram doesn't disrespect Stan Van Gundy last season. So, I mean, those things too are really impactful to me in in, in establishing this culture, is that I don't know where your top players have bought into this And uh, what that means, because if so much is hinging on Zion and B.I. buying in, they're not just going to do it for Willie Green. It doesn't work like that. This is still a job. It won't just be because of Willie Green. There are other things that have to be met on that hierarchy of needs. And uh, can the Pelicans supply the rest of those things to those guys?
0: Yeah, man. Like, and even like Willie Green, I love Willie Green. Like he has a special place in my heart. One of my favorite uh, New Orleans basketball games was I was working at call We were playing the Suns that night. And I was like, man, I'm just going to, and I was uh, staying in the CBD. I was like, I'm just going to walk to the arena and buy a ticket and go to this game. I really want to go to this game. So I get there. I'm at will call window and this woman walks up to me and she's like, you're about to buy a ticket. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, my friend and I have an extra ticket because my boyfriend didn't want to come. It's yours if you want it. And I was like, "Really?" And I was like, "You want some money?" They're like, "No, it's all good. Just c- come on. We just got the ticket we want to get rid of." And it was, it was uh, Lower Bowl sitting there. Willie Green. Well, when we get there at first, there's this note on the on one of the seats that says, "Come to some area or whatever. You won this prize or whatever." So the late, the two ladies disappear. I'm just sitting there watching, shoot around. They come back and they're like. Hey, we all got a free voucher for a free jersey and two tickets to for each seat to the to the Utah Jazz game, which I think was the last game of the year that year, it was like one of the last games. And so I got they were like, "Here you go." I was like, "No, give them to your no, you have them." So for free I got a ticket to that game, two tickets to the Jazz game and a free jersey, which I got a Trevor Ariza jersey, it's the only basketball jersey I've ever owned. Uh and then Willie Green went insane. Like he just, like I think, what did he make like 15 straight shots? I think in in that game. And so, like I've always had a special place in my heart for him. But then, and you know, I think he's going to be a good coach. And I and I like what you know Charlie was saying about what you think about uh, what we saw in summer league was very promising. But getting a bunch of guys that have a lot to prove to to tune in and play hard for you is. Easier than getting guys like Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson who are stars. So we'll see how that translates. Um, But hopefully that was the right choice. Um, But, you know, again, it's like one of these things where every year it's like we hear all these names that they're bringing through and we don't know like all this guy that was never mentioned that pops in and he's the choice, you know, and Willie green sort of got mentioned a little bit earlier than like Stan Van Gundy never got mentioned and he was just hired. Um, and, and so hopefully while we know Willie green wasn't the top choice, hopefully he's the right choice. I like him better than what was allegedly the top choice. So satisfied there, but, you know, again, it's just all those things that we don't know how they, how they're going to work out and just can't have, We can't have comfort in like, we we can't even have that like rose colored glasses going into training camp where, you know, as fans, we should, every fan base should feel like they have a chance to do something that year. And it's just really hard to feel like you have a chance to do something that year, which is ridiculous when you have the most dominant paint scorer since Shaq and you have a guy like Brandon Ingram and you have these other players and a promising young coach but you still can't feel comfort and um you know projecting that they're going to be a team that makes a so bunch of noise this season or that they're going to be fun to watch and that there's not going to be all these outside distractions um and you're not going to have a bunch of articles about your star leaving or you know it's going to be talked about every day on ESPN that your star is going to is requesting out he's unhappy you know we we have to go through that shit again um, and it's just frustrating that, that it always boils down to that, and we've never the only consistency we've had is underperforming for the entire existence of this organization, really.
1: Charlie, let's, um, let's, okay,
3: go ahead. Now, I was going to say let's go back to what you were talking about—the uh, basically the lack of a relationship between Griffin and Zion—and I want to go back to last year before Gr- uh, Stan Van Gundy was hired, where we learned that it was very important for whoever was going to be the next coach they were going to have to establish a very strong relationship with Zion. That should have really set off a lot of, you know, red lights off or whatever you want to say, fireworks, you name it. That was an inkling to really how disjointed Zion has become with this franchise. And at the time we were told it's because he didn't like the medical staff. Well, here's my thing. Nobody likes to play in their short minute bursts, but I want to know why was Zion and still sounds like, Still holds a grudge about this. Why was he, why is he so upset? Did the Pelicans not sit down, the Griff and the medical staff not sit down, go through, well, here's your weight. This is what your knee can handle. We've done some tests. This is what we feel like is the best for your knees. And if you have his parents who seem like they want to do well by Zion, right in the room present for that conversation, then you would think you would avoid this type of disdain that seems to always now be a talking point. So it goes back right to the start is what I'm getting at. Griffin didn't get off on the strongest, or I should say uh, probably on the worst possible.
2: He started know. with bullshit. I'm sorry. But the, the, his first quote that he came to with, uh, out the gate, uh, with once they got the number one pick, the first thing that he said publicly that he said to Zion was, if you choose us, we'll choose you. It's like he led with that. Amazingly, like saccharine bullshit. Like, that is what that is. That in no way is, that's not real. It's not. Right. It's not, Charlie, but I'm saying,
3: right. So, no, I was going to say, say, once you get past that though, let's get to really what's, 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 what's after game
1: one. Let's talk about game one of, of, of what should have been the game one of Zion's career against Toronto to find out. I think that's where that really broke because. A, I don't think they told Zion originally that he was going to require surgery. Yeah, he missed the last
3: preseason game, right against the Knicks? Was it?
1: Yeah, and I don't think he was told he was going to have surgery at that point. Right, right. Because we were because Alvin didn't know he was going to have surgery at that point. And so, for when you get the surgery, and it's the it was done in secret. That was problem number one. Is that we didn't find out till the surgery until after it happened that Zion had gone under the knife, and then we were told. Four to six, four to six, and that became three months. And that thing that you never could get updates. And I and I I think that entire thing was a conflict between Zion and his people and and um and uh Alvin and the team and Griff and and the trainers and those three groups. Even with Zion having a problem with some of the stuff with Alvin. At the very least, Alvin is saying, I want to play the kid. And Zion is saying, I want to play. And you're telling him he can't play. And all of that, fans didn't understand why he couldn't play. They never gave you a real explanation of why he couldn't play. They, they, And even when he went home, and you could say that it was at his parents' request during the bubble that they went home and didn't say that he was hurt, you don't owe anybody that. You owe your franchise, to be honest with your franchise and to your ticket holders and the, those people. And you can say Zion's hurt because we saw it on the court that he didn't look right in those games. So either he it was, we thought it was just because he was overweight, but we also were speculating that he was injured as well because there was no burst. There was no um, end-to-end switch. He could not switch into ends quickly at all. So I think it's just been Griffin not telling people things. And I think it goes both ways. He's not telling Zion the truth every time. He's not giving him the answers that Zion is asking for. That's what I'm coming he's to. You. Why his, weren't people on the same page? He wants to hear.
3: From the start, why weren't people on the same page? That's what I want to know. This doesn't seem complex to me, right? It's Zion the same had a with the yeah. tear. Okay. And then so he's heavier coming back. Or maybe they really didn't like the way he was jumping. We don't know exactly which truths hold more water. But either way, I just don't understand how you don't sit down with Zion, and his family, and everybody's on the same page. And therefore, at least you move on from that together. They never did. And then the whole bubble thing, as you're just now mentioning, that even blew up more. And now you have, honestly, I don't know if I'm Zion and his family, if you could ever trust Griffin again. That's what I'm trying to lead to now. And What do you guys think about that?
1: Because when is Griffin going? Griffin has never allowed Zion to speak for himself. When he was hurt, he didn't let us speak to Zion and say, Zion, how do you feel? We never got that opportunity. And I think that damaged him too. I think that, because you saw the frustration when we would be at games before the pandemic started and we'd be at games, Zion would be there and he wanted to be on the floor, man. He wanted to be on the floor so bad. And you could see that he wanted to say it. You could see that he wanted to say it, but when he, after the game, then he would go back into the, I'm just happy to be here. I'm here to do what everybody wants me to do. And I think swallowing that for two years of saying I'm doing what everybody else wants me to do. I think he's getting to be 21. You start to get to that age, and you start saying, "Man, I I don't have to do what everybody is telling me to do here. I want to play. It's my career. Let me go out there and do what I want to do." And I, I think at some point you do have to give him some autonomy over his career and allow him to do it. You are—he's a human being. He's a human being. He's not just an asset. He's a—he's a human being. And his emotional state is definitely tied to his ability to get onto the basketball court that first year. And you took that away from him and no one knows why that's, that's a big problem is that lack of transparency there.
0: I was also going to say too, like going back to what you were just saying about how he wouldn't let you talk to Zion. I think one of the biggest things that for me paints a picture of a fraud is that he has limited access to all these media outlets into being able to cover the team he's making it extremely difficult for you guys to get information from coaches from players um you know he's limited the amount of tickets that you guys get to games he's a limited amount of access you get to games how you can talk to people who you can talk to all of those things are like super controlled by him and you know that that way you can't chip away at, at the facade that he's built, you know, um, and it makes it harder and it makes it harder to know who's doing what. So um, accountability, which he talks about all the time, we don't really know who to put accountability on because we have no picture of, well, this was a trading decision. This was, you know, Swin came up with this idea. Ramon came up with this idea. I I posed this, the coach posed this, you know, and train staff posed this. We don't know because, No one is allowed to talk to anybody.
1: And yeah, that that cutting off of the media, I think has been a disservice for the the fans as well, because he's narrowed it down to such a small group of people who do have access. And most of those are his national friends um, in the media who will be kinder to him and, or people who are paid or have partnerships with the Pelicans as an organization. So I think that that's really a big problem there. The thing too is, on the financial side, how many more mistakes is Gail gonna absorb? Because um there's one thing that Mickey Loomis don't do, and that's waste her money on the Saints side. They don't waste her money no. over there. So I don't think he's going she's gonna keep letting Griff waste her money. And I wonder too, and Charlie, I want to get your thoughts on this the pressure that you have in counting on a first year head coach who is also very young. Not just a first-year coach, but a very young first-year coach. You're counting on a, still a a one of the youngest rosters in the NBA. Still one of the youngest rosters in the NBA. The veterans that you do have, most of them outside of Brandon Ingram are at best 15- to 18-minute players. Uh, uh, Devonte Graham, who I'm not calling him an old vet. He's only been in the league three years. So he's not really old either. So your, your most veteran guys, Temple, and uh, Valanchunas, who's on a, at the end of his contract again, so what's his motivation? Does he want to stay in New Orleans long-term? I don't know about all that. There are a lot more variables than constants when you think about this Pelicans team going into this year. And that, to me, along with all the Griffin stuff, makes it really hard to get enthusiastic about the team because when you're relying on that many things to go right, all at the same time, all your young players to mature, people to care about defense, your young coach to get it right. No injuries have to occur. You have to make sure – I mean, it's just – it's really hard to think of this as more than just a middling, and that's why I keep going at 39. Um,
2: This is a 39-41 to win team. See, I think you're almost being optimistic, Gabe, because I I really – like, I'm almost at the point where – I I could either see them like Willie green being like the perfect fit and like it just clicks and you see all the talent and it all kind of cream rises to the crop, to the top, whatever. And, uh, and then they, they really succeed or this just be the final, you know, nailing the coffin uh for, for Griff and this just being another tire fire year because of all the reasons you just said we are counting on maturity from the Alexander Walker and growth to the point where he's consistently putting up those what was 19 points per game as a starter, something like that. Uh you're counting on Devontae Graham coming in actually, you know, being a better player, being a better fit and being a starter that that is able to log those mitts and growth and maturity and consistency from B.I. and on that we've yet to see. And are they really going to do that when the entire, you know, the the root of the problem that it seems to be is still there and does not appear to be out the door as of yet. Uh, um, Yes, they have changed the faces in the locker room. Yes, they've added new pieces and new players that are, that are good. I mean, they've got some good players. They drafted a a good young rookie that seems like he's going to fit. It says all the right things. But none of that matters if there is no confidence in the locker room for the long-term health of the team, and unless Willie Green is just like a magician and somehow able to keep everyone on the same page uh, dis- in spite of all the negatives that have already been done. But again, that's just like you said, grub that's putting so much on a brand-new coach when most of the coaching staff is still from the prior Tenure, and heck, one of them's from what five prior tenures now? For God's sakes, um, when the when the bombs drop, there's going to be cockroaches and Fred vinson That's what I'm accepted at this point. um It's it's just like I I don't know. Like there's nothing that like I hate to say this and like try and be like all pessimistic, but th- there's it, it. I almost feel like the, the ripping off the band, kind of like they did with SVG. Honestly. Like ripping off the bandaid with Griff here, and just saying Trajan, go cook. Like, like you do your thing. See if they can re- reestablish this with Zion, because ultimately, like I've said for a while, Zion's the core. Like, they've got a great team in place or great pieces in place. Just to say, not a great team. They got a great. They've got some great pieces in place, and they have some long-term optionality. Um, but without. Zion's a straw that just starts to drink man he 's going to be the one that 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 pushes this team to the heights that they can get to or vanishes like you know a thief in the night because he just doesn't want to be here and doesn't want to you know get serenaded every you know time he goes to Disney World by a pianist and it's just I, I don't blame I really don't blame Zion because like we said like hey, it 's frustrating it is but i don 't blame Zion for being frustrated with how everything's gone. Um, not to mention, and this is, you know, everyone's had to deal with this, obviously, but all this occurring during the, all the pandemic stuff, can't, like, people want to turn the page. Like, a lot of people would just want to turn the page on a pandemic and everything like that, and that may, you know, impact people that have had neg- other negative experiences during this time, but all we got to do is look who drafted number two uh, in that same draft and see everything that Memphis has done while in the same exact time frame, and they are, like the exact polar opposite here. Like they, they have, they've drafted. Well, they have picked up the right players. They've got great veterans all around them. They've got a solid young coach. They haven't been through constant turmoil. And so they're just sitting there and they're quietly succeeding every year and and just having a great time. (laughs) And uh, it's just like the, the the entire opposite has occurred in New Orleans. And I, I don't see any sort of resolution. I just don't like, I don't know. What's going to fix it in, beyond some sort of magic stroke from, from Willie Green or one of the players just like grabbing the bull by the horns and taking charge? But right now, the guys that that would be are B.I. and Zion, and they don't seem like they're having the best time. Uh, like,
0: I want to say this too, uh, real quick is uh, wait, you brought up Memphis, and I think another situation that we're looking at with Griffin putting somebody in a bad situation is. Willie green. It's like, it's an unfair situation. If he would have done Hunter. what Memphis did and hired Willie green his first year, that would have been the right hire a coach like that. But now you're at the point in this team's development and your stars develop where if that young coach isn't ready to take them to the next level, that's when you make the change to the strategist. But now we're back to the developmental young guy. Um, so that that's, a major misstep that he made that was like the original sin was keeping out the gentry and not hiring a young coach, like, you know, whatever choice of the young coaches that were hot at the time that you liked. And now it puts all this undue unnecessary pressure on a guy like Willie Green, who possibly could be a great coach. He could still work out of course, but it's putting him in a much tougher situation than it should have been. If you had done what Memphis did and hired a young coach, when you brought in a young core, and had them grow together and develop together, then you see something, especially when you want to talk about organic growth and things like this, and you do the exact opposite um the two retread coaches, and then now you go young. It's just uh it's just bizarre.
1: Yeah, Ali, I mean, when you look at it from that point, another shortened off season. Uh yeah, Willie was hired essentially, you know, a week before the draft. Um he is not going to have a long training camp uh, this year either. Uh, And again, a lot of roster changeover. but for him it's an entirely new roster because he hasn't coached any of these guys uh, except for some of the guys at the summer league. And even that's for a very brief amount of time. It's a difficult situation for him to be put into. And then when you add the player dynamics of a Jonas Valachutis being the last year of his contract of Zion Williamson, essentially giving the franchise a test, to see if it can do the things that it needs to do to keep him of a Brandon Ingram, who feels maybe a bit neglected after last year, doesn't feel like he got the attention that he feels he's due and the respect that he feels he's due a guy like Devonte Graham, who's now has to justify being traded for a number one pick and who's coming in is going to get all the Lonzo ball stands comparisons, no matter what on a night to night basis. So that's going to be there too. And then you add into that, whomever has to fill in the other guard spot who we still don't know. And camp starts next week. We don't have no idea who the starting backcourt for this team is. That is a lot of shit to put on your plate and then to have drama with it.
3: You nailed it. That's my biggest concern. What do all superstars in the past have always said when it's game time, once the season starts, you put away all your personal agendas, all your different motives, um, issues, that you have personally, with the team, with each other. You set everything aside. And now you're asking for basically the Pelicans, they all have to do this. And they're all young. They're rudderless. There's a reason why the Pelicans front office really went hard after Kyle Lowry. Wish to God they could have gotten Chris Paul. I know that Willie Green probably has some. Um, you, you can trust him, but you still need a guy on the court. And we don't, from everything we've learned today, it makes you even that much harder to trust that Zion could take that next step or even Brandon Ingram for that matter. Cause he didn't do it last year. Right? So you're now you're wondering, okay, there's all these great individual pieces, but how are they going to come together? How are they going to come together when they can't even all get together for, and I know they're voluntary workouts, but if you're truly going to put winning at the top of your priority list as a 15 man roster and not every guy does it, what kind of tone does that set for next week when you're entering training camp? Okay. Well, these seven guys were here, and, uh, yeah, we can rely on them. We kind of know what we've got going on there. But how's Zion going to feel about that or whoever else didn't show up? That's the issue I have, and that's why it could easily just fail. No matter what Willie Green says, coaches, does the right thing, it won't matter because on the court they're going to be disjointed. Why? Because they're not on the same page because of all the reasons that you've illustrated several times now.
1: It's – you know I'm, I'm as a basketball junkie i can't wait for next week i i i anticipate this and and look forward to it at the same time you know ali this is what we're almost a I, i'm almost a decade in covering this team um i know you're up on that too and it's mm-hmm. and and then as far as you guys being fans you know it's it, it's all different sides of the same coin it's just we're going back to 82 games of this, and, and I just – it's going to be a test of endurance for us. as wa- Just watching it, it's going to be a test of endurance. And like Kevin said, I, I, the, the biggest thing you said is this is supposed to be fun, man. It's supposed to be entertainment, and it's not entertaining in a good way right now. It's entertaining in a, in, in a you-saw-somebody-fall-down-the-stairs kind of way. And it's like you know we're you're watching putting out fires.
3: It's the off season, and you're putting out fires.
1: This franchise is ridiculousness. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's Jackass, constantly Jackass
3: in a scorpion. This is
0: Real Housewives. Jackass is fun at least. <laughs> so yeah,
1: it's just drama. It's drama, and it's it's unnecessary.
2: It's not basketball. <laughs> no,
1: no, and this team has enough basketball-related problems that it doesn't need that extra shit. And and that's just the problem with the Pelicans as. And that's that's the part, you know. And I, and I I fully agree when people say national media needs to let out lay off the pelicans. They don't they don't deserve this that and the other because they don't they don't deserve the scrutiny that other franchises don't don't get. But internally, amongst the fan base, yeah, that criticism is warranted. Amongst the media, it's warranted. And I I do worry for Christian in the sense that we know that there is this. Thing about who gets the access and now Christian being the lead guy at NOLA.com and we joked about it Ollie but he might be a balcony boy um, with us <laughs> because it's <laughs> Griffin is known to make it that I don't want these people around my players or this to be a person asking questions and they'll they can control that they have so much control over who gets to ask the questions and who doesn't I I hope that w- it, and what Christian did to me is it, is not really that probative so a lot of this stuff is just pulling back a small piece of the, of the of the curtain to see what's behind there. I mean, I think most of this stuff is stuff that we would have, if you would have asked me or asked Ollie in particular from being around, who would have said, yeah, yeah, either we've heard it or we've seen it. This isn't a shock. I think it's just that you the, the, the details of it now, some of the more fine details of it just make you more frustrated. And that's all this really did to me was just it solidified the fears that I already
2: had. So well, I have a question about this. Do you guys think, is there anyone, and, and this goes back to one of the things that Christian mentioned in the story about like the slideshow thing um, and having the, uh, I forget the exact term, but having the the strength or whatever to have the tough conversations with everyone like that. Who is supposed to have the tough conversation with David Griffin? Like, and who is going to? Or is he even, like, is he even, obviously he's not practicing what he preaches. We all know that. But, like, is anyone going to, is Trajan, is Swin, is, uh, I like, I don't know. Like, is anyone going to be able to be like, dude, like, you are botching this entire thing. Like, you have got to, or have they already? And this is, like, all kind of coming out after the, like, because after the SVG thing, I don't know about you all, but I felt like we saw Trajan Swin for the first time, like, start to emerge on a media platform, at least a little bit. Uh, it seems like they got some face time and in interviews, but I just, I I, I don't know who's going to give him the tough conversation unless it's Mickey Loomis or, or, or Gail. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how that gets corrected to the point where he is actually getting, you know, the tough conversations that he supposedly needs, wants for accountability in the organization.
0: Also, I just want to say, if you uh, are looking for a copy of the alchemist, I heard there's 15 of them at present oh, the city bookshop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> look, I heard the story. I, t- I heard the story from inside the Pelicans facility. And they told me that when Griff got there, he said, I know how to do two things I know how to pick a great wine, and I know how to build a basketball team. Again, these are things that you don't say to basketball people. They don't give a shit about your wine. They don't give a shit about uh, your piano. They don't give a shit about your books basketball people uh, look even phil jackson remember phil jackson would give out all these books to this guy and this is at the height of the bulls when they're winning all these games. the lakers when they were winning and the players in those teams the jordans the pippins he said i read half the more than half the books that phil gave me phil give me a book it goes right in the clock boom i get rid of it." what the fuck did griff think he was gonna do with some dudes he ain't won nothing with and you're gonna hand out a book report on day one of class no 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 that just it just doesn't seem to make any sense to me you haven't earned the level of like what you gonna say i, I won a championship with lebron no lebron won you a championship dude and that's how yeah, the you players found look out
0: after that he was coming you know
1: right <laughs> so i think player he, he, he it's like he thinks players are stupid or that coaches are everybody he's this if you think you're the smartest he thinks he's
2: smart world, exactly he,
1: He's the smartest man in the room every time, and that is the quickest way to, to be found out how stupid you really are.
0: I'm not a big Phil Jackson guy, but at least he took LSD. Like he can, you know. I mean, I'm just saying, add, you know, like Phil. At least Phil could like, walk in
1: and be like, "Rings, things. you see all these fucking rings? Here's a book. At least you'll go like, mm, maybe I'll read it. At but, least he
2: could say like, I'm six foot ten and I played for the Knicks. Like, yeah, at least like, that, like you know, like he's got like, hey,
1: I, I, I got, I make wine and. I play the piano, and I drafted Anthony Bennett. So let's let's have a book. No, it doesn't work like that. They don't. No, it was not. And he talks about Stan being out of touch. Like you know, people talk about yeah, Stan being out of touch. Exactly. Come on, Griff.
0: That's the biggest thing. <laughs> he doesn't understand how out of touch he is. Like like I said, it goes back to that first thing. Bring in Zion and his little brother to Commander's Palace. Like, what are you doing? Bring him Dookie Chase. Bring him somewhere, you know, where there's going to be fans
1: can,
0: there. Or where like they're going to want to eat the food, you know? Where New Orleans people can like
1: go into. Him. Yeah, he could have been worshipped. Like, again, you bring him in. Like, I remember you talking about that at the time, Kevin, how much that disturbed you. Because you said he should have been brought out among the people the people who would be embracing him and they would have run up on him. They would have signed, just like that picture in yeah. New York City from when right. Zion and he goes and he does the dunk and you have the kids. And I remember you yeah. loved that photo because you were like zooming in on the kids' faces of the awe of watching that. There's no moment like that for Zion in New Orleans, not a single one. Yeah.
0: You get to bring him in with a bunch of blue bloods that like, their family-owned canned food companies in New Orleans, 300 years ago, and they're eating at Commander's Palace, you know, and you know, members they want to get a table. Yeah, yeah, right. Members of Comus are asking <laughs> to get a table away from him because they, you know they don't want to associate with that kind, or you know, like it's just it's just ridiculous. It's everything about him is ridiculous. He has no self-awareness, and it's it's insane.
1: Is is Gail Vincent, I believe on this one. Is Gail Vincent like a benign Donald Sterling? <laughs> and I would say like this: like you're in control of a franchise. The Pelicans, again, in the last decade, have two winning seasons in the last decade. That's that's kind of Clippers like proficiency from that era of like the Clippers kept getting top picks. Remember, they had oh, how nice. many? You know, how many number one overalls did the Clippers get over those years? Occasionally, they get in the playoffs. They did it with Mark Jackson and Ron Harper one time. Then they went away, and then they came back and they got in the playoffs. They snuck in with Elton Brand, and then they went away. and It took all this stuff till you got to to the Chris Paul era for it to actually start winning. It's almost like Gail Benson is a benign Donald Sterling, a team that has has been given everything. You have all the stuff that you could possibly want. The league has stepped in and saved you twice. And I'm not saying just with lottery. I'm talking about just saving that franchise twice. And yet here you are sitting here in this position. She might be one of the best owners in the NFL, but amongst NBA owners, like this is, this is Dolan. Like this is, this is, you know, Sterling-esque in, in squandering I mean, of resources. To come to her
0: defense a little bit. I mean, she invested in the team, like which Sterling never did. Like he and in, she invested. That's in why I, I say benign. That's
1: why I say benign.
0: And her reign is very new. To I mean, she was involved obviously when her husband was around, but now it's her time. I think she just got swindled by a con artist that has swindled other people before. So I'm not ready to get that book at her that she can't turn it around as an owner because I think she's willing to do what it takes for to to put a, a winning team together. Um, I just think she got she got you know she got sold a a bag of gold that was really a bag of shit and uh, but yeah I mean your Clippers comparison is as a team is very appropriate like if you look at like one of my favorite basketball teams to watch they weren't very good but they were fun was Lamar Odom uh, Clippers era that was a really fun team they were really fun um, but never won anything and that's how basically the New Orleans Pelicans have been since they've come around.
1: All right, guys, let's, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Um say this was a a great entree back in. I'm glad we got to do it this way um, and, and have something cool to talk about next week. Obviously we'll probably get back into more of a routine now that the season is, uh, is almost upon us. Um, so for Kevin Berrios, Charlie Gonzalez and Ali Cosell, I am David Grubb. This has been, another edition of the bird calls and in the words of our good friend Preston Ellis, let's go. Thank you for listening to the bird calls on the armchair, all American network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with
0: your friends and most importantly, subscribe today.